Left. Right. Yo, thanks for tuning in. I think you're going to like this episode throughout the Sip Talk podcast. Homelessness has been a topic that's come up many times. Uh, We're bringing in Derek Kirk, who was once homeless before, but he's also got an incredible story. So I want you to uh, enjoy this podcast, like, comment, share. That would be much appreciated. And uh, check Derek out. I'll include his links below. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 So we, we got a quick start here. Uh, welcome to episode 39 of Sip Talk, How Not to Be Homeless. Um, I think that's a good segue into uh, having a drink. <laughs> Step one, find a home. Yeah. Um, I'd like to introduce, we got James here, James, the Bosnator Boswell, um, philosopher, professional soccer referee, professional bartender, full-time accountant. Does that uh, sum it up? And part-time disappointment. <laughs> um, and uh, what are you drinking over there, James? Going with the, uh, the good old Milwaukee's best ice in the Jim Beam. And the Jim Beam koozie. Oh, man, I got to get a koozie. You know, the South, everywhere you go, the bars hand out koozies. Here, I don't think uh, – Mark, you ever gotten a koozie at a bar in what's, New York? What's a koozie? koozie? A koozie is like a felt uh, thing that covers this. It's like a little foam thing to keep your drink cool, and like, so that way your hand doesn't heat it up. Dude, I had – I have so many of those. That, like, a couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning out the apartment, and we tossed probably 20 of them. They, we don't have them here. I, I, I toss the ones that I get that, like, I don't like the brands. Like, I got a Triumph motorcycle. I have a Harley Davidson koozie. I tossed the, I tossed the Harley koozie because, I don't know, I just felt like I was cheating on myself. Um, for those of you guys that are watching live on Instagram, they change up the app. There's an update. I can't see what you're saying, really. Um, sorry about that. Um, if you guys are watching live on TikTok, that's awesome. I can see what you guys are saying. But the interaction is really, really tough. So tune in, make sure you, you load up the comments. We're talking about how not to be homeless. Um, James' leading question for me was, what was the closest I've ever been to homeless? Yeah, either like, either being, being homeless or even just like having like a, a short period of time where you got to experience it. Yeah, uh, well, here's, here's my thing about homelessness is that you ask somebody why they're homeless and they're going to tell you because they lost their job or they're going to tell you because they got evicted or they didn't pay rent. But my question for you, and just answer this straight up, don't read too much into it, James. If, if you got evicted, what would be your first move? If like you just showed up at your house uh, after work and there's a chain across the door, which by the way, I don't know if South Carolina laws in New York city, that's like way, way illegal. You would own I'm pretty sure you can't do that here either. I'm pretty sure you can't do it anywhere, at least in the U.S. But say, just let me run this by because I think this is as extreme as it might get. You show, you show up at home one day and the front door is chained up. What's your next move? Well, I'm going to be making a whole bunch of phone calls because I don't want to be able to get my stuff and figure out why I'm locked out. But Wait, so you're going to make, you're going to make phone calls to recover your things and find out why first? Well, yeah, I want to figure out why I can't get into my apartment because I'm still paying for it. Um, okay, well, let's say you haven't paid. Well, then the, the place being locked up is probably not going to come as much of a surprise. But assuming that I'm not able to stay at my place, the short-term solution is I'm going to reach out to people that I know and see if I can crash at their place for a couple of days while I sort things out. Eventually, I'm going to wear out the welcome with them, as, as is natural. Um, and so while I'm staying with my friends or whatever, I'm probably going to be trying to figure out what's going on with the apartment and also scouting out new housing opportunities, whether it's getting a new lease somewhere 
or like finding a place to store my things if I can get access to them. And then if I have to, I'll probably get a hotel room for a little bit while I figure out my housing situation. Thankfully, I've got the money that I could afford that. Well, and you know, I'll just one up you in the scenario. You don't have the money, but then you're going to focus on a work situation. Um, but you're taking pro it's any move that you're making here. It sounds like you're taking proactive steps to find new housing. Yeah, that's going to be my number one priority uh, on top of anything else. And if I had to, if I had to miss a day of work or whatever and burn vacation time to be able to resolve my housing situation, that's what I would do. And if I needed to tell my boss, be like, look, my my apartment complex locked me out because the management did whatever. And they'd probably say, get caught up on whatever deadline stuff you have. And like, if you need to let your clients know that you're going to be late on something or like ask somebody else for help that I know that my office would be supportive of me while I tried to sort out whatever the hell was going on in my personal life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, up until a certain extent, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I, I, within reason, but I know that my office would try and help me if I, if they could. Uh, mine is a long story, but I found out my ex hadn't paid the mortgage in nine months. So yeah, I think things like that will catch you up. But I think really the difference between you and someone who remains homeless or spends extended time homeless is that they're not taking the proactive steps and there's something that they have prioritized over housing or over finding another job. And my guess is that it is most oftentimes drugs or- Or mental illness. Or mental, yeah, mental issues. Um, primarily probably mental illness. Um, but that's, that's what I'm thinking. You know, uh, I'm hoping we get, we get Derek on here who can maybe, you know, shed some light as to what the streets are a bit more like, but I don't know his situation. I don't know his story. Maybe he wasn't on the streets. He may have been in shelters, something like that. I deal with people that are in shelters on a reasonably regular basis who come in here looking for housing. Um, you know, we, in Manhattan, the prices that we post listings for and that we have listings for typically over the, the threshold of, you know, what someone's affording coming right out of the shelter. But, you know, every once in a while, there's a really affordable option and we get some calls and people come in. Uh, you know, so uh, I just, I know from my perspective what it's like walking around the streets and, and we've had conversations about this, what it's like walking around in the streets lately throughout coronavirus and the homeless people that are in New York City, and I don't know necessarily that they're homeless, because I do, I've heard stories of people who have a home, who live outside of the city, who commute into panhandling. Yeah, that certainly happens, because you can, if you're good at panhandling, you can make a pretty decent living on it. Yeah. So yeah, there's some people that will drive in, put on whatever costume, whether it's an actual costume or just make themselves look super homeless for the day, and then go beg for whatever money they can get and then get back in their car and drive home and my repeat. Thinking, my thinking on that always has just been though that that's pretty much a full-time job. You're, oh yeah, it is. You're commuting in, you're putting on dirty clothes and. Or, you, or you're putting on a costume and doing like some of the performance art where you're dressed up as a character or whatever else. Well, that's, that's a great, that's a great way to make some money and, and get a job. Um, Put some aloe on that sunburn. Who, who's sunburned? <laughs> Me. I'm it's, still. Yeah. Still it, it's no. It's it's more like it's peeling now. It, it is what it is. Uh, but I could see based off of this, your whatever filter is on this is making you literally. Look yeah, like. like can, but it looks like you're radiating red. Uh, I'm sure I am, but it, it is what it is. All right. Keep keep your clothes on. Let me, uh, I show got Mark, the difference. Mark wanted to, uh, Mark had a you have a question for me or something you wanted to add about? I'm not homeless. I was just going to ask something, you know, I've lived like in Europe, Russia. Speak, speak up a little bit just so the live can catch you as well. Yeah. I was, can I like also shoot myself a little Sure. Time? Shoot. Shoot yourself. Um, you're going to school for journalism? Yeah. I'm studying journalism. So, all right, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, speak up so we can hear you. I was just gonna say that uh, I lived in Russia and in Europe for like a while, and um, what I saw with the homeless people there, they they kind, you know, they I mean they like alcoholics, but they ask you for money and you kind of wanna help them because they're not being 
they don't follow you like they don't they, they look okay compared to the homeless people that you see here yeah in europe they, they look like you know strangers with beard like like Gandalf, you know this this, mm -hmm. this type of stuff here they're like eh, can i have a dollar can i have a dollar you say you say to them i don't have like cash and they they can ask you can we go to atm right yeah um it's, but I definitely think there's a different breed of, of homeless person here in, uh, in New York. But um, I, you know, I don't know. I do remember my first day being in Paris. I went for a jog and I watched a woman just middle of the street, lay some paper down, pull her pants off, take a crap, fold up the paper, throw it in the garbage, pull her pants back up and just move on with life. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it's just, <laughs> it's just weird to you're like, I guess you, you've got to go, you got to go. And a lot of public places aren't going to give you access for public restroom. Uh, and also in, in Europe, a lot of the public restrooms actually charge some small amount, like 25 or 50 cents or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I, I don't know that I can speak necessarily towards the difference in home, but I do feel, especially in Manhattan, that a lot of this the homeless population here is, yes, it's all about drugs. And I think, you know, maybe throughout the rest of the world, drugs are harder to find, maybe? Uh, uh, no, not at all. Well, you think the types of drugs, it depend, maybe it depends also on, on where you are. Uh, well, my time in Spain, it wasn't hard for me to find drugs if I wanted them. But just think about, but you were paying for them probably, or you were with someone who was paying for them. We're not, we're not talking about drugs that, that a normal person from our perspective would do uh, uh, okay well i don't know what somebody who's making a lot of like <laughs> cocaine is a very popular drug what are other popular drugs uh, well, the, the three the three easiest to find in spain yeah. would have been cocaine marijuana and some version of ecstasy yeah that's really recreational uh, i'm not talking about crack or heroin crack doesn't really exist outside the united states other, you know, yeah, heroin, fentanyl. I saw this guy outside of the uh, Lincoln Tunnel, and I've watched over the last year his leg deteriorate. It really started at the ankle, and it's worked its way up to his his like up to the kneecap. It was all bandaged up, and I I, I parked the bike and I walked by this guy all the time. And then if I had to go through the Lincoln Tunnel, I see him sitting there at the Lincoln Tunnel. So I was in the greater portion of the last year, and recently uh, I saw it on all the way up his thigh, um, on top of like his quads, the top of his leg, and it was split open. So it's swelling, but the, I imagine, I mean, it's disgusting. It's got to be painful. I imagine the guy doesn't feel a thing the majority of the day. You know, and the rest of the day he's he's going after whatever drugs that, you know, that he's going after to, to mask the pain. But he's, the thing about the US homeless population versus a lot of the rest of the world is that we have programs in place to help the homeless and give them a helping hand to make the next step up, should they choose to pursue that route. Yeah, and so my roommate worked at a homeless shelter in Charleston for, for a while. And one of the policies that the shelter had was if you were there, no drinking, no drugs. And there was a pretty strict curfew of, I don't remember if it was eight or 10 o'clock at night, but it was one of those ones where if you were staying there, you had to be back by a certain period at that night. And if you didn't make the curfew, then like they would kick you out the next day. And so they would have a lot of people that would come in and they'd say, yeah, we have room available, but like, here are the rules. And some of them would say, I, I can't do that. Because of drugs? Yeah, they, they, they would say, I, I can't not drink or not like not do drugs. I like thanks for the offer, but I'm going to stay on the street. Uh, I'm not saying that's the majority of them, but there were a number of people that wanted shelter or whatever, but couldn't abide by the rules of the shelter. Um, Mark, what's can, I, can I add something? I feel like it's uh, it goes more it goes more towards like a health health uh, related uh, reform or like a health uh, problem. You guys have opioid crisis, mm -hmm. you know, like opioid, addi opioid addiction, I feel like once you're in that city, like you, you can't, it's, it's completely different thing. In, in many countries, it's illegal, like 
opioids and just legal here. If you can, if you don't find opioids, you can get like heroin on, on the streets like easily. Well, heroin's not legal. I know, but many that's how people get to heroin by because a lot of doctors they prescribe. Well, what I what I what I imagine has happened to a lot of because our office is right near a methadone clinic, and methadone is treatment for heroin use. And what I imagine happened is someone has an injury and they go to the hospital and they're prescribed whatever type of opioid or maybe non-opioid, whatever is masking the pain. And they can no longer afford that medication and then they run into somebody who is... Or their prescription just runs out. Or they're over, or they're over self, self-dosing and, and they run out and now they are in an insane amount of pain and I don't think I've been in that type of pain before, but I can only imagine if I was in this mind-numbing type of pain, what I would do to mask the pain. Um, no, it's a really common pattern where people have an injury, they'll get prescribed some drugs, they'll, they'll run through the prescription or whatever, and then the doctor won't give them any more. And so they still have the pain. And so they'll usually try and find the pills on the street and the pills are a lot more expensive than heroin. So at some point they say, you know what, heroin is cheaper and more effective. And so, and so they end up starting to buy heroin instead of the pills. And now they're addicted to heroin. I I know there was a bartender in Charleston, very talented bartender that fell into that trap. And I don't know how he's doing now, but there, there are some times where, it, it, yeah, at one point he got arrested for trying to rob a place because he needed his next fix. And well, so I could imagine myself being in a homeless position. Um, that would tell you a few years ago, like maybe 2013, 14, I considered buying a boat to live on the boat. Um, I don't or, remember this now. No, it's just a, who's it? What is it? Uh, houseboat miami vice who's the guy that lives in the boat uh if anybody you guys are watching who's the who's the guy that lives in the boat with the fucking alligator i'm pretty sure it's like don johnson or something miami vice Uh, i have no idea but i just figured a boat payment and and a dock slip would be cheaper than an apartment and it would be cooler and more mobile um it's just a thought but my thinking is if i ended up being homeless, a gym membership would be my best friend. And I'm pretty sure for $10 a month, this Planet Fitness next door to my office has a lot of homeless people that run in there and shower and use the facilities, I imagine. Yeah, uh, there's a, that's actually one of the most common strategies for homeless people is like the first thing that they, that, that if you're looking for a way out is buy yourself a gym membership. It gives you a place to clean up. Yeah, I mean, and if you- For can, relatively cheap. You can rent a locker there too. Then you've got some decent place to uh, to store your clothes. Yeah, but it, but what my you know my thing is my my the biggest thing that drives me nuts about the homeless population is the drug use. Um, I told you the story the other day. Uh, I think we were on air about the agent here who the homeless guy uh, basically like attacked her, but first started asking her to buy him food. Did I share I don't that? I think with you? so. Mm-mm. So, well, anybody who's watching right now, Mark, I don't know if you've heard this story, but the guy was asking her for money and, she, for, you know, hey, can I get something to eat? Can you give me some money? I'm hungry. And she said, I'll, I'll buy you food. So he goes, okay. Well, they walked into McDonald's, which is the end of the block here. And uh, he ordered like fucking $30 worth of food. And this wasn't part of the deal, buddy. And then the guy at McDonald's was like, why don't you just get the value menu? It's a, you know, the value menu item, it's a better deal. And then the guy got upset with the McDonald's worker saying, what do you, you know, who, who are you to tell me what to order? And then she's like, this is, t- I'm out. Like, I'm sorry. Now that the, the homeless guy and the McDonald's guy are arguing and she's just like, I'm out. And then the guy just like chased after her using just really nasty language, being very verbally abusive and uh, and she was trying to be nice. She was trying to do something nice, but yeah. But he abused the the charity. But what he was going to do was he was going to get fifteen, twenty, thirty dollars worth of McDonald's food. He wasn't going to eat it. He's going to he, trade it for drugs. He was going to go outside and trade it for drugs, or trade it. You know, he could sell the burgers for a dollar. He could sell the burgers for fifty cents, 
enough to make that five or ten dollars that he needs to get you know I, I mean I don't know anything about street drugs but I imagine they're not that expensive I imagine you can get some pretty bad stuff I'm sure it's like five dollars for like uh, for a dose but how what the dose of what and how long is that how long is that high gonna be I don't know it depends on the drug and what dose you're getting. I have no idea. Like none of us are really good ambassadors for this, but um, well, if you want me, if you want me to bring somebody else, I'm currently homeless. Uh, I'll, yeah, just, I'll send somebody right outside. Um, so what's the closest you've ever been, or like the closest experience you've had to being homeless? That was my opening point when I asked you if you showed up to your door and it was locked, you would call a friend, you would call family. Now maybe you're, you know, uh, excommunicated from your family or whatever. You're going to make alternate arrangements. It's not homeless should be a temporary thing. So what's the closest I've ever been to homeless? Um, you know, I've never missed a rent payment, but I guess it also really goes to where you place your standards. You know, like what level have you created your baseline standard at? And mine isn't just above the ability to pay rent. You know, paying rent isn't where I have my standard set. It's it's probably a decent amount higher than than just that standard. Um, but uh, <laughs> this is going to sound really bougie, but I did sell my Porsche to pay rent. We all have to make sacrifices. Yeah, we all have to make sacrifices. But it's it's a true statement, you know. I when I at the time when I bought the car, money was rolling, we were making lots of money. I had I had uh, you know, I, I really you know, I, I could have bought it in cash if I wanted. However, because of coronavirus, rather than hold on to the car as long as I could that was one of the first things to go, especially in New York City, having a car is a luxury and then having a luxury car is an Uber luxury. So I sold the car to, to pay rent, but I could still get to and from work. I have, I still have the motorcycle. I have two bicycles. I have subway and public transportation, yellow cabs, Uber, you know, like I'm not, I'm not shooting myself in the foot by selling the car, but my point is setting, you know, your priorities at whatever level. Um, yeah, but to, again, it's like for for people that aren't mentally ill and aren't addicted to drugs, it's much more likely that homelessness, if it happens, is going to be a temporary thing. Yes, and you know that's. I, um. <laughs> I remember going to a ski resort in the summertime. You were, you went to Smuggler's Notch in Vermont? Yeah, but only once, and it was during the winter. Yeah, but we used to go for, like, a summer program where you'd go hiking and stuff. And there was one, like, overnight hike where you, you bring, like, a, maybe they provided, I don't know. But you go and you hike and you stay in this place all the way to the top of the mountain. And uh, I just remember sleeping in, like, cots or I must have been seven or eight years old at the time. But you're basically sleeping in a big open room. And that, in my mind, when I imagine homelessness, I go to that childhood image of what it was like being in basically a giant resort that's empty because it's the summertime. And there's cots or whatever, whatever else lined up uh, on the floor. And that's an improvement over a lot of homeless people's lives. Well, yeah, but that's 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 what I figure is akin to a homeless shelter. Closest I ever got, I only really got to do it. I got to only did it once. Where when I was living in Spain early on in my program, there was a town about an hour and a half east of where I was I was living, and they were having this big festival or whatever. So a whole bunch of the people in my program wanted to go to check it out. So I said, sure, because the bus chip was only like 20 bucks round trip. So I go there and it's an all night thing. And a lot of them got hotels or hostels or whatever. And I was super poor. So I was like, you know what? I don't need a hotel or whatever. So now it gets to like three or four o'clock in the morning. And I've been drinking since nine o'clock at night. And I'm just super tired. And I don't have a hotel to go to. 
and then the, the first bus doesn't even leave the city so I can like get back to my room in in Bilbao until like seven or eight o'clock in the morning and so like it was January it was cold and I didn't really have anything on me I, I had just kind of normal clothes like long pants and maybe like a button-down shirt or something and it was probably like 40 degrees outside I tried sleeping in like in like a garage opening where it was slightly sheltered I, and I eventually ended up sleeping I walked into a hotel and then just like walked up the stairs and slept on the landing of a staircase at like the highest floor figuring that that would be where like there would be the least amount of foot traffic that's also coincidentally a good place to have sex just saying um the the landing of a, a staircase in a hotel yeah especially if you can't afford a room yeah well then i but yeah that even just doing that for one night of not having a place where i could go inside and just have the most basic amenities uh, like i can't do that again Anytime, anytime I travel, I make sure to have arrangements. I don't ever want to have to do the whole homeless thing. Uh, Ladin, who's watching, who's saying we should interview a homeless person. We're, we're trying to get right now. Um, uh, should be on any minute. Derek on the line, who was formerly homeless, grew up through through that system, um, and you know, we're hoping to get his his perspective. Yeah, he's going to have way more to say about this than either of us. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we may have had some some tough times, but homelessness is, you know, I mean, when when you're like, oh yeah, I've hit rock bottom. Would you consider? And and it's my understanding that he was homeless as a kid. Mm -hmm. so, you know, when you're a kid, there's a lot of stuff that's out of your control. You and, also don't understand what's going on as well. Sure, my, I just remember being a kid, like as young as like you know, eight, nine years old, probably even younger, just being like, fuck, I, I hate not being in any control and just wanting to be an adult so I can just call the shots and not not have some arbitrary, no, you can't do that with no explanation holding you from doing something. Yeah. You know, and I remember that from a really early age, just being like, fuck this. Um, you know, and once I turned, once, once I had, I remember the freedom of having a bicycle where like it was okay that we could i mean you and i could how how far away would you say we live from each other five miles as the crow flies yeah okay so but but as the as the cycle pedals maybe probably six or seven miles on the roads yeah, i don't know and we could i just remember the absolute freedom it felt like having the bicycle and then once um i had the car just feeling like a real person where there was no constraint on life in, in yeah, it was really liberating just like i want to go somewhere i don't have to ask anybody i can just go yeah you, you like you're not relying on anybody else obviously money is an issue but uh but that's you know that's that it gas money is an issue although the time i very quickly graduated from jobless person with a with their parents old car to uh, pizza delivery guy with their parents' old car. <clears throat> so I don't know if this guy's having technical uh, difficulties or not, but has he reached uh, out to you? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know should should be coming on, but um, regardless, um, it. I want to get into what you would do if you found yourself homeless. I already kind of told you, it's reach out to the people that I know can support me on a short-term basis. Use the time that they give me right. to be able to find a solution. And now let's say that that's, that time has passed though. Now what? Well, because I'm either going to, if I, if I, if I have the money, I'm going to probably just get like one of those like weekly rates at a hotel. You don't, I don't have, do I still have my car? You, um, Sure, but you don't have any gas money, or maybe tickets are. If you're in New York and you get a ticket, or it's been imagine you're in New York and your car's been towed, and now it's 180 bucks or whatever the 95 dollars, whatever the, the holding fee is, um, and you're wearing dirty clothes. So, like now interviewing for a job day by day, hour of sweating in the sun by hour of sweating in the sun, well, finding a job is becoming more and more. If I have zero dollars to my name and I don't have a car, if I, all I really have is the clothes on my back, 
then the first place I'm going to be going is I'm going to be looking for any homeless shelter that's out there that has that has some kind of support services where because I'm not going to have to worry about drugs or alcohol or mental illness or whatever. So I'll be able to get in and I'll have a place to sleep at night and a place to shower. And I can use the time that, I, that the homeless shelter gives me to try and find a job. And they'll have the, the kind of the support services in terms of like getting an address. Cause a lot of times if you don't have an address, you won't, you can't get hired. True. So I would say, how do I solve this problem? And they might say like, here's a PO box that you can use or anything like that. So and I, so I would, I would find whatever resources are out there. If I don't have, if I can't rely on friends and family, I don't have a car that I can sleep in. I don't have, I don't have anywhere that I can go. Then yeah, the first place I'm going to go is a homeless shelter and try and get the resources that they have available. Yeah. I, I imagine that as a homeless person, and again, I'm going by the people that I see on the streets in New York, but I imagine that one of the biggest obstacles you have is being smelly and wearing, and wearing dirty clothes. Um, because I don't, I don't think at that point you're getting a job. There's, there's also some businesses out there that like will offer to do like a free cleaning of your clothes or whatever for a job interview if you're homeless or anything like that. I've seen that all over the place. Right, let's so like find whatever resources there are out there. All right, so let's see if we can, we can bring this guy on. We got Derek here. Let's, oh boy. Hey, there we go. We got him. Derek, how are you? Yeah, I think you're muted right now. A minute. There we go. Yeah. We got you uh we got you live on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Glad uh -huh. you could join us. You know more about yourself. We we just recently started uh connecting, so I'll let you do a quick uh self intro. Okay. Okay. I'm Derek Kirk, uh the entrepreneur. Um I've been uh heavily into real estate. Um, I also have a, um, a book that's releasing in 2021 called um, Innocence Loss, uh, The Dear Kirk uh, Story, as well that's releasing on ebook on all the major platforms. And I also have a podcast on all the, all the uh, major platforms as well called My Thoughts with uh, Dear Kirk. Well, we're glad to have you. And one of the things we've been talking about um, while we were waiting for you to be able to come on is just our thoughts on how does homelessness happen and how do you get out of it? And both of us are not really well, well versed in this. We, we read a little bit about your bio and, and your upbringing. And we think mm -hmm. that like one of the biggest questions we have is how were you able to, to break out of it and, and, and find success for yourself? Just, just first though, kudos on owning what it is you got going on. Derek, you, you are your own brand. Um, yeah. and yeah, I, uh, you know, TikTok is a platform that's newer for me. Um, but I have mm -hmm. a lot of people that interact with me on a daily, literally daily basis. And mm -hmm. I go in and, you know, they follow me and I go to their page, I'm going to follow them back and there's nothing there. And you know, people will message me and they'll say, how come you're not following me? And I'm like, well, you don't, there's nothing to follow. You just <laughs> want me to be connected for the second. So mm -hmm. I, I made a post this morning. And I said, look, you know, if you're if you want to start creating some content rather than coming up with a silly skit or a dance, just tell your story, and yeah. you know, and and tell the truth to your story. And I believe that you have really doubled down on that, and I think you've got a, a, a very cool story. And I'm sure you you have used that as a springboard into the rest of your life. Things yeah. look like they're going really well right now. Uh, you got the podcast, you got this book in the works. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a little more on that. I listened to a few episodes of your podcast. Um, I like them. Uh, they're shorter than ours, which makes them much more digestible. Uh, you know, our, we can get, we can get a bit, we can get a bit carried away. Um, but it is sip talk. So the goal is, is to digress a bit. The more we drink, uh, but let me let me just ask you because we we definitely want to get into the homeless thing because it's something we've talked about a lot lately. In New York City, the homeless population is fucking wild, and while people were not working and there weren't masses of people on public transportation mm -hmm. on the streets, the homeless really took over. Yeah. Um, so that we've it's it's been a 
recurring topic that we talked about a lot, which is why when you reached out to me and shared your story, that was one thing that we really kind of zeroed in on. But I'd like to hear, you know, from, from, from you a little bit about your story. Um, and if you want to elaborate on the homeless portion of it, we'd be glad to hear it. And if you don't mind, just ask me a few questions along the way. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, so pretty much how it all started was um, my mother was uh, was addicted to drugs. Um, uh, my father was absent. And um, so we grew up from birth all the way through uh, um, by the age of six, um, heavily around drug use, uh, the selling, the distribution of drugs as well in my neighborhood. I grew up on the east side of Detroit, which is are pretty much an invisible neighborhood. It's an area that uh, most people won't travel to. It's not a very safe area. And to grow up in those parts, or life expectancy isn't very long for uh, people that grow up in, in those neighborhoods. You don't really expect to grow up as an adult living in those neighborhoods. So um, in elementary school, I had to walk about two miles one way to school and two miles back. And I'm only like five, six years old. Uh, but that was uh, pretty normal. Um, you saw other kids doing it in that, you know, that two to three mile radius of neighborhood that I knew some of the stuff you grew up uh, thinking back on was pretty wild and but yet so normal uh, for me. I was comfortable in that danger because I see it every day. Well, you, um, can, I, can I just ask, mm -hmm. you mentioned drug abuse. Um, can I ask what type of drugs? It was crack cocaine. Um, that was pretty much the only drug I've ever seen and, <clears throat> and knew of at a, at a very young age, uh, five, six uh, year, years old. You've seen it, you've smelled it, you've, you're very familiar with being around it. You saw it being sold, you saw it being used so vividly at a very young age. Uh, so uh, that, was, that was the drug and you've seen the, the effects of it. So what's going um, through your head though when, you, when you're seeing people use, use this drug? You know, I, I, I remember being a kid and I, I smelled these, this funny smoke. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize it until a decade later, but it was yeah. weed. <laughs> and weed is not crack. Um, it's the same thoughts. The same thought that you smell that weed, it's the same thoughts you smell anything you, that's harsher. You don't think anything of it. You know what it is, you see the effects of it, but you don't have any negative feelings towards it because um, you don't know any better. You know, you're, you're six years old. You don't, you don't know the, this is normal to see people do. You think this is just what adults, all adults do. It never hit you that like, maybe this is why we're here? This, you, Not at all. You never drew that correlation? No, because I only knew a three mile radius of a neighborhood. Um, and that was my school and back home, my school and back home. So that's the world I knew and the only world I understood. Outside of that, it was uh, PBS TV, you're watching Sesame Street and stuff like that. You, I really had no idea of the world outside that stretch. So what happened as you grew up, as you got older and you started to kind of learn more about the world, but like, how did your opinions on this change? Um, with me, um, I was removed from that situation. So um, eventually social service came in, removed us from the, the home. They came to our schools and uh, I have an older sister and a younger sister and an older brother. They pretty much removed all of us from school, from the home and put us in foster homes. How old were you when that happened? I was uh, still six years old. I was wow. six, three, seven. So I was still six when they when they took us away um i lasted about a few months in a foster home uh because i had an anger issue that had developed after being out of that that danger we didn't really have structure um the abuse was very heavy in the home so once i was taken out of that home you would think things would get better but no actually once i was put into a foster care home when they try to discipline you uh, it's actually a reversed effect. Um, even though you were getting abused at home, when someone else that you don't know tries to abuse you, it's really a difficult task. You, you're, you're, you're pretty much pretty tough kid to discipline from someone other than your parents. Um, it's a stranger now trying to, uh, you know, discipline you. So you pretty much feel like you need to stand up for yourself. It feels like more of a fight than discipline. And so I started to fight back uh, to my foster parents, which wasn't, uh, they weren't staying for it. So they pretty much called my social worker and said, hey, we gotta get rid of this kid. He's pretty, 
he, he has an anger issue that we didn't know he had. Um, and so from there, they moved me to an orphanage. And so, um, you now seven years old, uh, I moved into an orphanage and I was at that orphanage for about 10 years of my life inside that orphanage, uh, living there. And, um, which sounds dreading, uh, because we all have an, a really blurred idea of what an orphanage is, but, uh, without the foster home, without the orphanage, I wouldn't have been able to be where I am now. I wouldn't have had this clear view of the world. I wouldn't have had this complete understanding of, of, of diversity. I wouldn't have been able to go places. It really broadened up my view. It really gave me a childhood um, as well. This orphanage was massive. It was the size of a college campus. Um, so it had different uh, dorms there, all filled with other kids like, like me and uh, from all across the, uh, the Michigan area, some from Indiana, some from Ohio, they all come to this facility um, as orphans. And so we all, in, we end up building a bond together and becoming brothers and learning more about other nationalities and, how, and the way other people's lives. And we see their families and people get adopted. And so um, you really end up getting a childhood and learning a lot. We had schools that were on campus as well, elementary, middle and high schools that were on the facility. They even let us go off grounds to school. So now you get to go to the public high schools and the public middle schools. So now you get a, a much broader look. And these were all quality schools that the orphanage had money to send you to. And so, but when people hear orphanage, it's such a, a, a really fuzzy look, but um, there's a downside because now I have to watch all these close people I uh, begin to love uh, go off and get adopted um, year over year over year over year, but yet not me. So that's that side too. And then eventually you age out of the orphanage and now you have to go out into the world and find a way for yourself. But they really give you the tools to where you, uh, when that, if that does happen, you can kind of hit the ground running. You so you turn, yeah. So you turned 17. It, is that, so you left the or orphanage. What, what happened? What was your arrangements when, when, when you left? Uh, pretty much they, uh, you're pretty much getting ready for college at that. So once you're age out of there, they give you kind of an in-between home to go to is usually a foster home. At that age, I'm pretty much self-sustained. I don't really need any help with anything. Um, I take care of myself. Uh, you get a job uh, and you pretty much, the state usually gives you money every single month to kind of take care of yourself in additional to the job that you have. So financially, you have more than enough money than you need to actually take care of yourself while transitioning to go to college. So I got a couple of things. I got Mark here. He's one of the agents with the, with the company. Uh, mm -hmm. But real quick, just, just uh, how do you want people to follow you? You want, what do you want? Instagram, you want? Yeah, Instagram's the best. Uh, D Kirk for us. That's D Kirk F-O-R us okay and that's kirk k-i-r-k -K yep f-o-r -U u-s yep all right all right cool um so mark you had a question real quick do yeah. you want to throw that in there right now yeah okay so, so i'm gonna spin it just so you guys can see uh see mark who's chilling in the office with me here oh there you go mark <laughs> so since we're in real estate right now and justin is a big is a big person here so uh my question is this can can you link like homelessness, crime increase, and uh, people moving out from New York City because of uh, because of the pandemic uh, to to the current real estate market? Like so, so, so what are you what are you saying? Are you thinking because of the pandemic right now? Well, just given you know the current situation, like this, you know, the pandemic uh, that got us shut down, mm -hmm. and then uh, the crime increase, people started moving out from the city, and it's a lot more homeless people right now also. Okay, so so let me let me let me just uh, correlate that a, li a little bit because I want to, uh, Derek, I want to learn a little bit more about your background, and then I want to Mark and I obviously see the homelessness and the crime in New York City all the time, so I want to get into that get into that a little bit. Um, but let me one the one thing I wanted to ask bef beforehand was you seem to have had a pretty good trajectory right mm -hmm. yeah now, do you feel that you were an outlier uh kinda it's it's uh there's Derek kirk's everywhere um they, they we're i'm pretty much 
a blueprint of many of many others like me. Uh, some just don't go as far. Um, some may cap uh, at college or they only make it out of high school. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely, it's, it's, it's not easy. It, it's definitely not easy. So did you, did you spend any time really on the streets? Yes, at 18, I was homeless uh, at 18. So I spent pretty much majority of my 18, my, my 18th year on the streets. What's, what's it like? Because I want to, I want to loop this back into kind of what, what Mark's getting yeah. at talking about the crime. And my thinking is that really what's happened now is that because the police don't want, the police are afraid, I feel like to do too much policing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one, because there's just, there's so much attention on them. Yeah, it's a different uh, climate for them. It all makes their job a lot. <laughs> Are you in New York City? No, I'm in Detroit, Michigan. So yeah, and that's and that's I don't know that that he'll be Derek will be able to speak in the New York City. That's that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think what's happened now is that the homelessness in New York City and the drug use has gone unchecked so far. So I I I don't know if you caught any of this in the past podcast, but I got. I went to park the other day on a motorcycle and there was a guy laying in a parking spot on the street, not on the sidewalk, on the actual street between cars. I did a U-turn. I got pulled over for going the wrong way in a one way. You mm-hmm. know, and I ran out of space to, to kind of go there. Um, and the police really hassled the hell out of me. And I, you know, obviously there's this homeless guy, uh, you know, juxtaposed <laughs> the fact that he, you know, he wasn't touched and, and, and I got harassed pretty bad. Um, but you know, I think the crime that we have now is because nobody's cracking down on, um, but I'm curious what it's like being on the streets because before you jumped on, James and I were talking about, you know, it's, it's a difficult, we didn't, we didn't start the same way that you started, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're middle-class, upper middle-class upbringing, you know, we have, you know, my family by no means has a lot of money. But there's always a couch I can crash on. Nobody in my family or extended right. family, you know, even if I if I was there for months and months and months, maybe even years, they'd still be happy to have me in a basement <laughs> or on a sofa or whatever. You don't have that padding behind you. No. So definitely a different trajectory. It's difficult for James or I to put ourselves in the shoes of a homeless person. I just keep kind of upping the ante. What would you do if you got evicted? And you go, oh, you know, I live in my car. Well, what if you didn't have a car? And, well, then I, you know, I, I get a hotel. Well, what if you didn't have the money to get? So we just, we, it, it's really difficult for us to. Yeah, and at some point I ran out of answers. There's like, I, I don't know, man. And so that's one of the main questions I want to ask you is like, obviously you were able to make, make it out of there and, and, and find success where a lot of people don't. And I want to know, like, how did you do it? And what would, like, what made you able to get out when so many other people couldn't? Um, you definitely got to want it. It starts there, there. You got to want, let me rephrase it. You got to want more because you can want to get out and, and just stay where you are and, and consider that out. Uh, but being homeless, there, there are systems in place. And so you, you definitely have to find that those systems that are in place to kind of help you get out, whether they're, whether it's foster care, whether it's adult foster care, whether it's shelters, whether it's some type of um, human services programs, they exist. And they're, they're, sometimes they go underfunded, sometimes they're heavily funded. That all depends on whoever your state governor is. But these services are there to help people who fall down. And when they're underfunded, then your streets may be full with, with a lot of homeless people that don't have anywhere to go. And, and, a, lot, and a small portion of those homeless people want to not be homeless again. But only the funding may only allow only a handful of them to, to get out of that situation. And a lot of them, they get the door closed on them. So the realities of it, when you open up the details, are ugly. And But all us citizens, all we see when we're out and about is the homelessness. That's what's in our faces. We don't see why, why is this person there? Because I was once that person there. you know. And so we don't see, we just think, okay, there. a lot of them are just 
just some of them are just lost causes sadly some of them are going to be there no matter what but it's a large portion of them that are trapped and that the resources are not there to get them off of the corner so they they try to pull themselves up by panhandling and or sleeping outside of a shelter or soup kitchens or they try to do the little they they can to to make it to make their situation comfortable and who the resources are there to pull themselves out me um, I was at the time I was homeless. I was just lucky enough to be young enough because that that helped a lot. I was young, and so I had priority services over someone that may have been 25, 30, you know, 40. So since I was uh, still considered a kid, the services got kicked to me over someone else that may have been like 35, 40 because they still considered me a kid. So now I was able to get out of that situation a lot faster than them, and then I just pretty much trampoline myself on to college and on to uh, business. And so um, definitely the city services where your, your tax dollars uh, go to help these homeless people. Uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a wild guess that when you were homeless, you, you didn't have a drug problem though. No, no, so I've never done drugs at all. I've never smoked weed, I don't drink, I don't smoke, um, all circling back to how I grew up. So I, th that stuff I'm afraid of, the effects of my past, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know what that stuff would do to me. Well, and that's completely understandable, but th that puts you in a different position, even at 18 or whatever, it's a lot easier to help someone who's, in a, who's homeless, who doesn't have drugs or mental illness problems, because then you can right. say, here, here's what we can do for you. We don't have to conquer any other demons. We can give you the I stuff. I also can see, while I was out there, I can also see why people pick up drinking, why people start smoking. Because when you're out there in New, New York, when it gets cold, and when you've given up and you're sitting out there below zero weather, uh, being sober isn't the best way to sleep. When you're drunk, you pass right out. It's it's really I, I when you when you're out there and you're you're looking at other homeless people, you, you see why they're drunk. Oh, so you're not, sober. You're not a drinker. No, I'm not a drinker. Have you you said you've never done any drugs? Have you ever? Do you ever drink? No, I've never drinking either. Okay, good good for you. Good for you. <laughs> uh, I do see why they why these home being out there with them. I see they they need to kind of get out of their mind. They need to kind of. Uh, go to like you know pass out they need to the, the realities are just too harsh and me being sober out there it's all in my head you're up four in the morning sitting on at a park bench yeah I'm awake you know so you you see you see why they do the drugs they do and they drink whether because they, they need to escape their reality and being there makes you really understand why they do it what are the uh, what are the sleeping arrangements when you're homeless I'm, I'm really curious, you know, when you're out in the streets, uh, is it better to sleep during the daytime, better to sleep at nighttime? Why is the park bench the go-to? Uh, you know, and again, I don't know too much about your background, but the, the closest I ever got to that was I had a lease that ended on the 30th and my next lease started on the 1st. I slept in a moving truck. That wasn't yeah, it. that's perfect. The park bench is just public space. So mm. the only people that can kick you out is the police. And they're not going to be there. They're too busy. So the public, the park is just the easiest, quickest. But anywhere else, you're in front of this place. You're in front of this place. You're too close to this place. You know, the business owner is going to kick you out, most likely. You don't have anywhere comfortable to sleep. The park is just public. No one's really going to throw you off of it. Yeah, so, so when you see homeless people now, uh, how, well, how, how are things where you are now, given coronavirus and the shit economy that, that we've all got? How are things over there? Well, we, we still have a homeless problem here. Uh, homeless nowadays have escalated. It's a lot of people take advantage of homeless now. It's kind of a business now. Um, there's more resources than now more than ever. There's a lot more money and resources now more than ever. Most people can get help. Uh, the the minimum the funding has has rendered this this the standard minimum is, is, has rise so now I see homeless people that's have made a career out of it and you and it, and you learn who are, is doing it for a career and who is actually homeless and it's sad to see the ones that you pass by it'll shock you you saw where they were going after you know they leave that that corner you know they actually probably go to a house and it may not be the best house but they go to a house. 
and they don't work. That is their job is panhandling. And those people are abusing that entire homeless system because now people are starting to ride past homeless people more and more and more because people are starting to catch on that homeless people are starting to, to use and abuse the system. I, I don't, I, I don't really think there's that many people that have homes and James and I were talking about this also a little bit earlier. I don't think there's that many people that have homes that come in to, you know, treat this like a full-time or part-time job. No, maybe not in New York, but if you, uh, Michigan, yeah, it, it, it's in that, all the, in Michigan, yeah, a lot of the homeless, majority of them, no, they're, they're, they're really homeless, but uh, you, you, you got to be able to identify who's abusing and who's really homeless, but a lot of people, yeah, they're, they're really homeless now, but. Uh, uh, okay, so quick question for you on this. So if you're walking down the street and a homeless guy asks you for change or money or whatever, what do you do? It's usually not the people that walk up to you asking you for homeless. I mean, asking you for change. Those people are usually the the, the really homeless people. The ones that are kind of not really homeless are the people you see in the same spot every time you ride past a corner. And the, those are usually the people who are are pretty much that's that's their corner. You see them at that same exact corner. But do you day. give people money on the street? Uh, depends. I use, uh, it depends. If I see you at, um, if you walk up to me and I'm downtown somewhere, then yeah, if I can look at you and like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're really, you're really homeless. You can, you can see, you can look at someone's attire and tell, you can look at where their position. When you've been homeless before, you've seen, I've seen people taking advantage of it. And so you can, you, you cannot kind of start to eyeball it as well. I'm just going to say that's a skill you have that I don't. Yeah, it's it. It's there. You, you see a lot of homeless people all the time. You you pick up on it pretty quickly. Yeah, well, I don't think in in Charleston, South Carolina, I I know there are homeless people down there, but uh, yeah, more, we've got a pretty decent population of homeless people in the downtown area. But the more metropolitan the area, the more mm-hmm. likely there is to be homeless people who can survive. True. Mm-hmm. You know, because I ride past one every day and. Oh my goodness. I see him. He has a, a wife that's at the next corner right after him and, and they do the same things. They communicate. It's, a, you can, it's organized. And that's when you know it's not real. It's too organized. And those are the people I'm talking about when it's organized, but you wouldn't really catch that it's organized unless you're paying attention to them, you know, and that's. Yeah, that's why the touristic areas work though, because the tourists mm-hmm. are paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, they want to, they want to buy that goodwill feeling by, yep. um, you know, which is, which is why that's, you know, that works. Um, so crazy. So, so, uh, so what else is going on? So you, you went to college. Where'd you go to school? I went to Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I graduated with a degree in psychology. And yeah, so I needed I needed a tutor for every single class, uh, my elective classes. I, I I needed a tutor for every single one. Graduating high school in high school, I needed lots of tutoring, and in college, I needed lots of tutoring. But you put in the work. Yeah, you, I definitely put in the work just so I can stay on the playing field with everyone else. I kind of needed tutoring. Uh, it's it, it, it. I I kind of well, I I was pretty much in touch with myself. I knew that high school was, wasn't going to be easy for me like it was for everyone else. Same with college. I knew what I was walking into uh, as well. Um, yeah, so I knew it was going to be a tough battle, and I knew how, how hard I was just going to have to fight just to be what other people consider normal. Did you get into real estate right after college? I got in in college. Um, I started as an RA, like uh, the, the RA uh, life, and then I moved as a leasing agent. And then from a leasing agent, um, I kind of skyrocketed from there. From a leasing agent, I went to a leasing manager. From a leasing manager, I went to an assistant property manager. From assistant property manager, property manager, regional manager, operation specialist, all the way up to the corporate ladder, pretty much. That's a that's a pretty solid trajectory. You definitely uh, you definitely latched on and and uh, and you knew what you were doing. But you'd done that. That was basically your former life. You know, you, you, you look for opportunity, you stuck with it and, and you went with it. And now you've got this entrepreneurial side, which is not, which is not the same as the kind of career that you're in. 
but you're really building this. Somebody asked if you have a YouTube. What's your YouTube? I don't have a YouTube. You don't have a YouTube. No. What I, ventures I are you in uh, on the entrepreneurial side? What kind of businesses are you trying to start up? I buy low-income houses uh, and turn them around and rent them as low-income houses. So I'm pretty much helping the people that was pretty much me one day. You know, so if you're low-income in Section 8 housing or you're homeless and you get approved for Section 8, you can come rent rent a house from me. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. You you would probably be able to give me some really great perspective. Let me just restart the live over here because we just got uh, just got disconnected. Mm -hmm. um, so we see uh, in New York City in in Manhattan, which is pre predominantly the area that I cover, rents are pretty high. Mm -hmm. so a lot of the city and state programs don't cover a high rent you know if, if you're yeah, it's not happening <laughs> one bedroom average price is around three thousand which is prior to coronavirus yeah. uh you know you're not getting you're not getting a voucher for that not at all you're gonna be in one of the boroughs you need bronx queen brooklyn something like that uh, but the rents have dropped quite a bit and there are cheaper mm -hmm. places in manhattan and some of the vouchers really reach some of them have they cover mm -hmm. a decent amount of rent but landlords still don't want them and yeah, it, I I know, <laughs> I get it. You know, I, I, right? Yeah, so, I got them, so I know why those. Especially even though the rents may have dropped, that's still probably if I still the same high class building, it's still the same middle class building. Even though the landlords were forced to drop the rent, they, the tenants are still going to be the same that come in there. Uh, and I get it. I know why they don't want them. These tenants are definitely uh, they they're a little harsher on the the properties are for sure uh, because they, they come in with a bunch of kids there too so you have to uh, budget for that as well they're, they're going to bring some damages some of them then you you get lucky and have some great tenants that, are, that take care of the property and those are the ones I, I i get thankful for you know i i give them discounts just to, so they can stay uh but then you do get some tenants that are really heavy on the property and bring some really harsh damages and i see that often more than not and but so, it, it is often it is often, and that's why so many landlords are adverse to these programs. Yeah, they know what they 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 know, and and I'm sure the landlords they they talk to other landlords who who do dabble in the, in the Section Eight area in the in the voucher area, and they can tell you the majority of their tenants are harsher on their on their on the properties, even if it's uh, not so much when they move out, they're not going to give you the property as you gave it to them. Uh, but I'm sure in the higher class uh, markets, they do because they want their security deposit back, you know, so they, they're a little nicer. They give you it right back the same when you got it on my end. No, you're not getting the house back in the same place you got it. I don't expect it back in the same place you got it. I come in with a maintenance team ready to turn it uh, and get it ready. And, but if I, when I do get it back the same way I gave you, I'm actually pretty shocked. Yeah, yeah, I, I well, how do you budget for that? Because it just means that your your general overhead cost for for rentals is going to be higher. Yeah, it depends on how many people living in there. If it's a family, four kids, and a mother, uh, it's probably it depends on if it's a two bedroom, a single family home. I'll probably budget like two grand, three grand, um, and I may have gotten that in the in the deposit. Maybe I collect first and last month up front, a you know, higher deposit, and save all that just to turn it when they leave, you know, um, it depends if it's just a husband and wife, you know, maybe like 200 bucks, you know, it could be anywhere. I, I might not need to do anything, slap a coat of paint on and get the next person in there. It, it all depends. It's a, it's the template for either, or I'm, I'm usually ready. Uh, let me just Mark, do you have any more follow-up questions that you want to, you want to throw in there? No, I shall not. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Um, all right, we so we just we actually just exceeded the the time limit for the Instagram live. So, but I'm gonna kind of wind down a little. I restarted it, but I do want to wind down because at the end of the day, I do have to edit edit the full tape. Um, James, any outstanding questions that you have for Derek or any any anything else? Not nothing that comes to mind right now. I would like to have Derek on again sometime. Um, he's got some real good input. Yeah, I love to be on. It, de it definitely is, and. Uh, 
and Derek, you, you have to, uh, you, I, I want to know what links you want me to throw in. Uh, I got somebody asking about your book already. So um, let's definitely work on pushing that. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to throw out there? Um, www.derekirk.com is where you'll get links to the podcast, to the Instagram, um, to everywhere. It just goes straight to the website. All right, cool. I appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you soon. So basically just seeing how this works. Uh, we're live right now. So you got TikTok, you got Facebook, you got Instagram, that's all live. But we then take this, we uh, post-produce it. It goes on YouTube, full video, an intro and an outro. All your information is gonna be on YouTube. So anybody who's watching live right now, make sure you check out the YouTube. We'll have that up probably tomorrow afternoon. And then we also take the audio and you're on Spotify, you're on Apple Podcasts, you're on Anchor. Anywhere you can listen to a podcast, you're on there as well. So I'll make sure that we uh, that we got you on all those platforms. We're still right. new, so if anybody's watching us right now, especially if you're on live, make sure you subscribe to uh, YouTube. Definitely. So you, uh, you follow our podcast, and uh, make sure you follow Derek too. And uh, we will definitely we'll bring you back on soon. Love to follow up, see how things are. And uh, that's all I got. I enjoy being here. All right, cool. Yeah, super, super glad to have you, so. All right, guys. I'll catch you later. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye, see you. Hey, thanks for joining this far. If you made it this far, you definitely owe me a like, at least a comment. And uh, if you don't, you don't very much mind, consider sharing. I'd appreciate that very much. Thank you.